Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, we are going to be talking about romantic comedies. And I have an awesome panel. It's like a Mindy Project reunion up in here. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get to that, just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. As always, we are taking listener support right now for as little as 99 cents a month, all the way up to $9.99 a month. If you would like to support the show, help us get better audio equipment, and also, like I've mentioned, 50% of what you give us will go to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. And I know it sounds like I'm a slacker, but I really am not positive who it's going to be for the month of December. So if you have any suggestions, it's not too late to reach out. And also, if I go with somebody else, I can always put that one down for the future. So if you want to support the show, make sure to go click on the link in the show notes or go to our anchor page and click on listener support and also keep an eye out because coming in the new year, we are going to have a merch store on Redbubble. So that is in process right now because we have a brand new logo that I like a lot better than our current logo. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, so let's go around and have our panel introduce themselves and tell me one thing in pop culture that they're excited about right now. Start with you, Carla. Hi, I am this week very excited about a movie that I just watched on um, on Prime called Hooking Up. It is it's actually a uh, romantic drama comedy, so it kind of sort of fits into the theme for this week. It is fantastic, and everybody should check it out. Not just because I say so, but mostly because I say so. But mostly because I say so. I don't think I've heard of that one. I don't know. The name sounds familiar, but it's I don't think I've heard of it. It's brand new. Well, I mean, by brand new, I mean 2020. So, <laughs> well, that is brand new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although this has felt like 10 years, but still. <laughs> um, and Jackie. Um, I am just. I'm going. I'm wearing my sweep the leg shirt, so I'm gonna go with. Cobra Kai on Netflix, um, which is going to have a season three pretty soon. Um, I actually, like, when it first came out, when YouTube Premium was still called YouTube Red, I, like, got the subscription just to watch it. Um, And it's really good. Everyone should check it out. And Meg? Uh, Yeah. I am pretty excited. I've watched now four episodes of The Boys. (laughs) I only nodded off a little bit during one episode, um, but I made it through some really gross things that I don't think I ever needed to see, and I don't think anybody ever needed to see. <laughs> well, just you wait. <laughs> yeah, like they're 
Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but that's not how you pay rent. <laughs> but I guess that's how you get out of rent for a really long time. Uh, <laughs> just wait till season two and you realize that's not how you should drink milk. Oh, God. Sorry, sorry. Some people spitting out their entries. <laughs> This yeah. is an early afternoon recording, so I'm not prepared <laughs> for antics. Throw that in there. <laughs> uh, and I'll let you recover a bit if you need to, Tiffany. But Tiffany, <laughs> yeah, that was almost a straight spit take <laughs> with the milk statement. <laughs> but hello, hi, how's it going, hi. everybody? Um, <laughs> The thing I'm most excited about right now is I'm in the middle of season three of Star Trek Discovery, and it is exceptionally good right now. Um, let's see, episode nine and ten just uh, just dropped. They drop weekly on CBS All Access, uh, so it is behind a paywall, which is silly because CBS's numbers would be incredible if they just put it on regular CBS, but... I digress. Um, anywho, uh, and I also have a personal connection to Star Trek Discovery because a friend of mine is a director and she directed several episodes last year and this year. So her episodes are always fantastic. She just has a real eye for um, bringing things together cinematically. So <laughs> tele- televisionically. Televisionically. <laughs> So yeah, well that's what um that's what I'm loving right now. Awesome. We'll have to do an episode on that sometime. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> I haven't watched it, but we'll have to do an episode on it. You'll love it. <laughs> and this is Aaron, and what I'm into really, really fits the theme. Um, I'm into history of horror on, <laughs> on Shudder. So it's exactly like a romantic comedy. Um, yep, fits fits perfectly. But as I've said, I don't like Eli Roth. I think his movies are trash. I think, yep, boo, exactly. I think they kind of helped almost ruin horror. But I love his show, The History of Horror, primarily because for for the most part, it's not like this egocentric ego trip for him. It's mainly just talking to people who actually know how to do horror movies. And in this one, they're the second part. They talk about like evil children, which that episode is really good. They talk about body horror, which is extremely gory. So if you watch that, that's extremely gory. Um, but it's just an interesting look at horror and different aspects of horror. And and I know like Meg would love the body horror one. She'd be all over that one. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited every time when I hear you recommend horror stuff. And I'm like, this sounds like a really cool thing that I'm never ever gonna watch yeah you 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 could not handle that one i i could barely handle some of some body horror stuff that's kind of that pushes the edge for me so yeah yeah (laughs) no thank you all i'm picturing now is like eyes and teeth and fingernails and all that stuff is like more than just that it's i know (laughs) but those are my own personal like oh i know yeah scary things yeah no no i i get you Okay, so now let's move on to romantic comedies. So we're first just going to start out, and I'm going to go around and just ask everybody to list just three of their favorites, just three of their favorite romantic comedies. Start with you, Carla. Um, I'm going to start with Yesterday. It's a great movie. Um, While You Were Sleeping and 
Uh, how did I forget? You've got mail. Yes. Very movie, very romantic, very comedy, very white. I know, but it is what it is. <laughs> well, that is what a lot of romantic comedies are. <laughs> <laughs> and Jackie. Um, my all-time favorite is When Harry Met Sally. Um, and I really love 13 Going on 30. Um, I'm going to say The Family Stone just because of Christmas time. And I know you said three, but I also want to give a shout out to the movie Love, Rosie, um, which just, it's, it has a happy ending, but it really rips your heart out every step of the way. I don't, I don't know if I've seen Love, Rosie, but I love hearing The Family Stone get mentioned because I, I just... I think that movie is so, so, so good and so special. And I just, I love that movie so much. So, yeah, I don't think I've, I don't know if I've seen Love, Rosie. Who's in Love, Rosie? Um, Lily Collins and Sam Claflin. And it spans, like, I, don't, I can't remember how many years, like 15 or 20 years or something. Like, they start out as um, teenagers and their friends and they're both supposed to come to America for um, college, but she gets pregnant and she, like, doesn't tell him by someone else, not him. And then he ends up, like, coming back. And so, like, it's like things just keep getting in their way, like, huh. for, like, 15 years. <laughs> um, okay. But it, it has a happy ending. <laughs> okay, awesome. awesome. And then Meg? I just watched The Family Stone again. Um <laughs> Carl and I were going to talk about it, and then we decided not to because it was too sad in some ways. <laughs> um, but so I decided to go with uh, Bridget Jones's Diary is just one of my favorite movies. And a lot of it is because I have like personal <laughs> connections to it in my in my little brain and heart. Um, Fools Rush In is another one that I really, really like. Um my family and I still make jokes with each other about Fools Russian and Return to Me is another one that I, that I absolutely adore. Um, and plus pretty much all the ones that Carla and Jackie have already said. So <laughs> I'm a, I'm a sucker for rom-coms. So. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And Return to Me is, oh God, I, I just watched that the other day it's for like so the 18th billion good. time. <laughs> so good and the old men are I like it's I love it yes so much. everything about it and you know it's funny because um for a long time I actually don't kill me Carla I actually wasn't a big fan of David Duchovny I thought he was just really arrogant but that movie fair. that movie is actually probably accurate that movie is actually what changed my mind though I kind of turned a I have bit. A, I have a really hard time of ever thinking of David Duchovny as arrogant just because I've seen the movie Evolution Oh, I love that movie too. That's, that's another one that made me like it. That movie. And I feel like anyone who's in that movie can't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. I actually think that movie's better than Men in Black. I love, I absolutely love that movie. We just, my 12 year old nephew, I just uh, showed it to him for the first time this summer. And that was a hoot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really, really good one. And Tiffany. I'm going to go in a slightly <laughs> different direction. Um, mine is focused more on the comedy portion, but there are some romantic elements in it. Uh, coming to America. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a rom-com. 
It really is. It's a rom-com. I mean, it's it's boy meets girl and they live happily ever after. And there's a lot of comedy in between it. So coming to America, um, The Wedding Planner. I, I love that movie. Yeah. I love it so much. Uh, that was, you know, Jennifer Lopez at the height of her rom-com powers. <laughs> and it was really hard. But I think my final one is The Proposal. That Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds are just comedic gold and rom-com gold together. So I think those are my top three. I mean, I have a lot more, but if I had to choose three, those are those are my three. Yeah, those are good ones. And Betty White is incredible. Betty White, national treasure, national treasure, international treasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Coming to America was one of those that, you know, I used to have videotapes of like, I'd have like three or four movies on them recorded off of cable. And that was one of them that on there and we'd watch over and over and over again. That was just on TV the other day. I don't remember what station was playing it, but cause I know there's the sequel coming out soon. That's still coming out, right? Yes. It's due to drop next year, I believe, but we'll see how that goes. If they're going to be going onto a streaming platform or yeah. it'll be a theatrical release. I'm not sure. Well, and I'm, I decided I'd pick some really, um, not obscure, but ones that people don't mention as much, um, just because I had a feeling a lot of the ones that I love would be mentioned, and they have been, like, When Harry Met Sally is my all-time favorite, and I do want to say we did do a, a poll on Twitter with, it was When Harry Met Sally, While You Were Sleeping, You've Got, um, no, sorry, Sleep This in Seattle, and then um, My Best Friend's Wedding and When Harry Met Sally won, followed by While You Were Sleeping. So those were the two. Um, but So I decided I'd go a little bit more obscure. I'm going to start with one called Playing by Heart. And <laughs> good, I'm glad to see someone else has seen this movie. And it's it's also very heartbreaking in some ways. I cry every time I've watched it. Um, and this is a movie with Angelina Jolie. It's from 1998 before she became big. It's like a, a big wide cast. I mean, it's one of those where you've got lots of intersecting stories. You've got Gillianna Anderson's in it too. Um, you've got um, Patricia Clarkson. You've got Gina Rollins. You've got Sean Connery. Um, you've got all these, you've got Ellen Burstyn, um, all these amazing people in it. And what I like about it is the way the stories interweave. It's it's really, really sweet. And it makes me cry every time. And I love Angelina Jolie in this movie. She is the highlight by far. And this was back when I absolutely, I had the biggest, biggest crush on Angelina Jolie for years. And this was kind of at the height of that. So I highly recommend this one. Um, it's a really, really good one. Um, the other one I want to recommend is one that I watched as well. This is um, I've got these two that I'm going to recommend are actually more focused on um, more LGBTQ centered. And the first one is Get Real, which is a British movie about a teenager who is coming out of the closet and he falls in love with the jock of the school who is not ready to come out of the closet. And it's, it's, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I know with, um, how am I forgetting the name of it? The happy, happiest season is not the name of it. The happiest season yeah. that just came out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been thinking a lot about that, about it with that, because I know a lot of people are rightly upset with how, um, Kristen Stort's character was 
treated. And in this movie, if you want to see really how that, that, that should go in someone taking their power and being like, I'm not going to be treated like crap just because you're not ready to come out, watch this movie. Um, so it's, it's a lot more about that. So it's just about someone really getting real and finding out who they are. And then another one, and I've mentioned it before, I think on our representation um, one during Pride, is called All Over the Guy. And it's completely a rom-com with two men. Um, there's very, it's not, you know, a lot of times you'll find with a lot of LGBTQ stories, there has to be some kind of tragedy involved. And this one is not like that at all. It follows all the rom-com tropes. Um, and it's just, you know, it's very much the guy who's not, doesn't want to fall in love and just wants to have sex meeting the guy who all he wants to do is fall in love and them hating each other at first and then liking each other. And it's just, it's, it's really sweet. And I've watched it numerous, numerous times. So I just wanted to throw out ones that weren't going to, that I had a feeling weren't going to get mentioned as much. Okay. So let's move on to some common romantic tropes. Um, I want to start first with the most common thing that you find in a romantic comedy is the meat cute. Carla, what are your thoughts on the meat cute? I really love that trope. I mean, it's, it can be so cheesy. And I, I think that, that one of the reasons that it becomes cheesy and becomes something that, that is such a go-to is that um, it's just so easy to put together, you know, you don't really have to have much more story behind it other than let's find a really inventive way for these people to um, to get together and fall in love. But uh, the first one that comes to mind is the movie The Holiday, and that's mostly because Meg and I just discussed it. Uh, but you have, you know, the, the two women who are in their respective homes, or, you know, home places. One is in near London, the other one is in, in L.A., um, they decide to swap houses for the holidays and they meet uh, cutely these guys who end up being, you know, the one pretty much. And it's it's really sweet. And I think um, I, I have nothing against the trope simply because I just think it, it's a means to an end. I do think it's a lazy means to an end, but it only really matters if you don't really have much substance behind um you know, after that, uh, like Fifty First Dates, I thought was really, really innovative because they they go beyond the meet cute element, and it's a meet cute over and over and over again. Which you know, I, I was um, every time that I that I watch it, I'm just very interested that you know this is a movie that falls into Adam Sandler's lap, and you don't really expect him to be somebody in an innovative. Uh, rom-com situation i mean at least back then because this is back around you know, the water boy and uh and happy gilmore and all of those less than stellar movies but those are i think the prime two examples that um that come to my mind and um then besides that i, I think love actually they just decided okay let's get big stars and like six scenarios in which they could meet cute and wrap it up and cut we're done yay us and it works for me not for a lot of people i guess because based on on some people's reaction yeah yeah uh erin is not a big fan of love actually she's not even not a big fan she is uh probably uh 
as unloved actually a fan as you can get without coming to my house and and taking my DVD and breaking it in my face. <laughs> Which she's only not doing because of COVID restrictions. Hide your DVDs of Love Actually, or Erin will go on a cross-country tour as soon as COVID is over. <laughs> you would be so excited, Erin. I tried to watch Love Actually, and my and the Blu-ray player, and my PS4 and PS5, none of them would play it. <laughs> trying to tell you something. <laughs> but yes, Love Actually is a movie founded on the idea that, hey, big stars, meet cute, Boom, let's rake in the cash for the next 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and Jackie? Um, you know, honest, like, aside from, like, on the Mindy Project, I had never really thought about meat cutes before. Like, I guess just because they are so common in all of the romantic comedies, like, it's just a thing that happened. Um... So I don't really know, like, if I necessarily like or dislike them. I mean, I'm assuming that I like them because I'm addicted to romantic comedies. Um, But, yeah, I don't really have a strong feeling either way. Um, But I am, my heart just right now is feeling really happy thinking about the movie The Holiday now. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love, 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 love that movie. Yeah, and Meg? Um, I absolutely love meet cutes and I'm, I'm like really mad at myself because I just thought of four more rom-coms that I really really like um no I absolutely love meet cutes um they're one of my favorite tropes in romantic comedies and I think Carla really talked a lot about kind of why we like them and why they become so common um I think my big fat Greek wedding might have had one of the cutest meet cutes ever um and I I don't know if you would count sliding doors as a meet cute or anything like that, but I just have to mention sliding doors because that's one of my all time favorite romantic comedies. And I cannot believe I forgot to mention it. Um, But I just, I like it. It's, it's such a tropey trope and it's so incredibly not something usually that would happen in real life. So it kind of falls right into this rom-com genre. So yeah, sorry. I got distracted. (laughs) Okay. And Tiffany. I I totally agree with what uh, everybody said. Um, Carla definitely explained it the best <laughs> that I could ever say <laughs> is that yeah it's it it's a bit lazy, um, but it is a means to an end and it generally works. Um, I am thinking about like I think probably my favorite is in the wedding planner. I mean, come on. She gets her foot stuck in a grate. She gets her heel stuck in a grate. And he comes along and saves her from this, for some reason, giant (laughs) trash bin coming toward her at incredible speeds. I mean, come on. When is that ever going to happen, really, in life? When is that ever going to happen? But that's probably my favorite. But I think I also like the re-meet cue when people who have been apart come back together and meet air quotes again um something like sweet home alabama you know she re-meets up with her you know she thinks ex-husband haha wink wink and then (laughs) um also uh always be my maybe you know here we are they had this 
you know, really strong friendship when they were in high school. And then obviously people go their separate ways as adults and then come back together and they re-meet. So I think I like like the idea of that. I do. I like the idea. I think it can be fresh, like Carla mentioned in 51st States. They just have to, the writers just have to really stretch themselves as opposed to having somebody meet in a grocery store or on the dance floor, you know, wherever. Yeah. Yeah. I pretty much agree with what everybody has said. Um, I want to say, I think a really interesting meet cute is Notting Hill because you've got a a celebrity doing a meet cute with somebody who's, you know, a regular normal everyday Joe. Um, And I'm just going to throw out really quickly since we've already mentioned a couple movies with Hugh Grant in them. There's this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful interview with Hugh Grant on Fresh Air that I recently listened to, and it really gave me a totally different impression of him. So I I recommend that. I just want to throw that out there because he's in a lot of romantic comedies, of course. Um, he's already – oh, actually, we've mentioned three movies that he's been in with Bridget Jones' Diary, too. I always forget about that. Um, but, yeah, I think Notting Hill has a really, really good meet cute. I think, um, and it just popped into my head, that one of my favorite romantic comedies is definitely Maybe. I think that is such a good one. And I think there are some meet-cutes in that as well. Um, even with the women, the woman that doesn't end up being his true love, you also have that. But um, I think there are some really, really cute meet-cutes in that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when it works, it works so well that sometimes you don't notice it. Like Jackie was saying, when you don't, you're not really, you don't really think about it. I think if people do it well, you're not going to think it's a meet cute. It's just, oh, they just met that way. Oh, that's natural and normal. That's the way everybody meets. Um, and I think also, you could also even say that another Adam Sandler movie that I absolutely love is The Wedding Singer, because I'm not a Sandler fan. There are only a few of us. But I think The Wedding Singer is another great romantic comedy, also with Drew Barrymore. And I think they have kind of a meet-cute, too. Um, and I just I just adore that movie. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's a really good trope when, do it, when done well. When it's really too obvious and hits you on the nose... Um, which I'm trying to think of an example right now. I can't think of one. It can be kind of trite and overdone, um, but I but I like it. Um, and now I want to go into, I'm kind of skipping around the outline, guys. Sorry. Um, but I want to go to friends to lovers or enemies to lovers. Because I know personally this is probably one of my favorite ones because I have quite a few that end up like this. So, Carla, what are your thoughts on that trope? I'm so happy we're going there. Oh my gosh. It is absolutely in both movies and in in fanfic. I am a sucker for blank to lovers. They can be enemies, they can be friends. I don't care. Just give me that dynamic and that tension that uh that that brings within. And I think it's because there's an element of um of knowing the person already before you open your heart to them, whether it's because you know all of their bad things or because you know all of their good things, you just don't see that potential in that person to be your companion in life. That kind of sounds like I'm talking about a dog. No, to be your true love or whatever um, until there's you know something that you missed that is brought to your attention or you see them in a different way. And I just love that so much. Whew, okay, but... Uh, 
breaking it down, friends to lovers, I think there there's just so there's a whole plethora of them. And it's very interesting that particularly in the last maybe 15 years, it's really changed from just friends to, you know, friends with benefits to, uh, you know, to sweethearts. It's, it's like lovers to sweethearts. Let's maybe just change it to that. Um, but I don't think that they're particularly interesting or inventive. I think that they're just okay because, you know, you have the movie literally called um, Friends with Benefits. And I think the same year there was another movie that was very similar. Um, no strings that, attached. Thank you. Yes. And neither one of them was particularly good. Like I was so excited when, when I saw the, the previews for them and then I watched them. I'm like, Oh, that's all right, I guess. Like, whatever. But, um, the ones that I, that really stand out to me for a long time are 13 going on 30, which I think is a really sweet friends to lovers, um, trajectory. Uh, and Zach and Miri make a porno, which, you know, I, I think that's one that like a lot of people don't really, it's not a, at the forefront of their minds because it's more comedy than, than the romance, but it's a great rom-com. I love it so much. I love that they're, you know, they, they go through all of this. And in the end, it's kind of funny that they're, they're porno together and stuff like them actually making love. And it's just, it's so sweet. It's a beautifully sweet movie, raunchy as hell, so much fun, great acting. But that, that to me is the one that stands out the most when I think of that genre. And I'm going to mention again, hooking up because it's, again, it's very new. And if you haven't checked it out, definitely do, but it's definitely a friends to lovers kind of thing. It also has a great meet cute. So it has pretty much everything you could ask for. Um, And then enemies to lovers, the cutting edge. I think that's like one of the most amazing enemies to lovers arcs. And it's hilarious and it's quotable forever. I mean, if you, yeah, the topic, topic all day, every day. If you don't know topic by now, then, you know, just stop what you're doing. Press pause on this podcast, go watch the cutting edge and then come back and be cool with us because otherwise it's just not, it's not working for me. Um, but, you know, you also have others like Dirty Dancing, which, you know, not strictly a rom-com, it's a romantic movie, but absolutely enemies to lovers, clueless even in its own kind of more cutesy way, because I don't feel like really Josh and Cher were enemies enemies. They were just, you know, brats <laughs> being bratty to each other, but it still kind of falls into it. Um, but yeah, forever the cutting edge will be the king of um, of enemies to lovers and kind of the king to my heart. Um. So first of all, I want to say that I think I've only seen the cutting edge once and um, I don't know if anyone here was part of it, but some people from the Mindy uh, fandom did a live tweet of it. Were you guys there? Okay. Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I'm just thinking about the friends to lovers trope. Like, <laughs> when Carla was talking, I just had like goosebumps because I love it so much. Um, I had more, like, I had a lot that I wanted to say, and now I'm just all like, ah. Uh, but yeah, like, um, 
13 going on 30. Obviously, I already said that and love Rosie. Um, Just go with it was really good. Um, And I think that's also why I didn't, like when you asked about meet cutes, I didn't really have a strong opinion. And that's because um, I'm more into the established friendships or enemieships and stuff like that like people who already know each other um rather than people who just met uh that trope just like every time <laughs> yeah. and, and definitely um and i'll be mentioning so definitely when harry met sally i mean that's the ultimate <laughs> meg uh yeah so i like friends to lovers a lot uh, but I am a complete and utter sucker for enemies to lovers. Give me people who hate each other and who are stuck together in some reason and then end up falling in love with each other. I love it. Um, Carla took like all of my friends to lovers ones that I was going to say. So I'm going to, I'm just, I guess I'm going to stick to enemies to lovers. Uh, Bridget Jones's diary. I already mentioned as being one of my favorites. Um, which I just, I love Mark Darcy. I love Colin Firth. So anything that he's in. And then of course, I feel like the mother of all enemies to lovers, Pride and Prejudice, which it is a rom-com, damn it. (laughs) I will fight tooth and nail. That book and those movies are funny. Um, Is another one of my favorite enemies to lovers books, stories, just ever. I I read Pride and Prejudice a lot. 10 Things I Hate About You is a really, really good one um, based on The Tempest, which is, I guess, even older than Pride and Prejudice. Um, And you already talked about The Proposal, which I think is a really fun one. I just, I love people who can't stand each other and who (laughs) basically by circumstances have to understand each other in a different way because if you already hate someone then you have an understanding a little bit of who they are they already know each other but you have to learn about them about different aspects of them and you kind of delve deeper into who they are as people and I really really like that storyline a lot and yeah Carla took all of my friends to lovers, ones that I wanted to talk about. You think you'd be used to this by now. I'm absolutely used to this by now, but I made a whole list and I was like, she's not going to get this one. (laughs) And then just checked every single one of them. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. (laughs) Jackie, did you want to add something in there? Um. This is pretty like unrelated, but I just want to say that I don't even know if it's in the movie or not because I also read the book Bridget Jones's Diary. But um, there's this part where she's like making out with like this younger guy, and he goes, mm, "You're so squashy," and I am haunted by that line. I think about it all the time. <laughs> I don't remember if it was in the movie. I don't think it was in that movie. It may have been in one of the 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 later movies. Um. <laughs> But I just remember, I remember reading that and I remember Mark Darcy talking about how he likes all of Bridget's um, wobbly bits, I think, because she called them her wobbly bits. And he's like, I like your wobbly bits. Get you a man who likes your wobbly bits. (laughs) I think both of those are awful things to say. (laughs) 
<laughs> Tiffany. Let me just say I would die if a man ever said I was squashy or I had wobbly bits. I would literally turn into a ball and die. Thank goodness I'm married. He <laughs> said it after she called them her wobbly She said, don't look at my wobbly bits. And he was like, I like them. Oh, so. Hey, hey, man, I can call them my wobbly bits myself, <laughs> but you can't say that you like my wobbly bits. <laughs> not allowed. Inject it into my veins, please. Friends to lovers, enemy to lovers, just inject it into my veins because I love it. I love it. I love it in film. I love it in TV. I love it on fanfic. It does not matter. Just inject it into my veins. Um, I think for friends to lovers, I really enjoy There's Something About Mary. I really love that movie. It, I mean, it is one of the raunchier rom-coms. You know, there's some moments in there. Zipper, hello. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, it's got this real level of sweetness to it as well. And I think that Cameron Diaz and um, Ben Stiller just worked so well together. They just had so much chemistry um, as as friends and as a couple. They just, it, it was so, I love that movie. I really do. I can watch it anytime. And of course, when she, what is that hair gel? <laughs> the best thing ever. <laughs> the best thing ever. It's, it's, it's hilarious and it's cringeworthy at the same time. Um, and I think for enemies to lovers, and this is a, a bit, it's a bit kind of out of the box, but I think 27 Dresses does give you that because she doesn't, he's not necessarily her friend, but he's definitely her enemy when he publishes or when his boss publishes that, um, that uh, article about how many you know bridesmaids dresses she does have. And it makes her look like a total idiot <laughs> for doing it that for being a bridesmaid that many times makes her look desperate um so he's definitely her enemy at that point um and then of course they come back together and it's all lovely and great and beachy wedding uh, give it to me just just give it to me i love it <laughs> i was just gonna say that the gel scene and there's something about mary totally put me off gel for the rest of my life because i am terrified I am terrified. I'm not known for my thoroughness with hair product. And I just know there will be a clump of it someday. And somebody's going to think that there is jizz in my hair. And I'm scared to death of it. <laughs> I bet that's happened to a lot of people because of that movie. So, yeah. <laughs> and I want to say for um, 27 Dresses, 27 Dresses to me has one of the best, best dance singing along karaoke drunken moments in any movie ever um you know when they get up there and they're singing benny and the jets i just i love that scene so so much i adore james marston so that probably helps but um katherine heigl i can take her leave but i adore him and i think he's so good in that scene they both are really so I just want to give a shout out to that scene because i think that scene is so good i could just watch that scene over and over and over again um, and I love this trope. Like I said, this is one of my favorites. I mean, we all met because of this trope, really, when you think about it. I mean, Mindy Project is straight enemies. Well, they become friends, but enemies to friends to lovers. I mean, that's what that whole show is. So we met because of, <laughs> because of this trope. Um, 
And of course, my favorite romantic comedy is When Harry Met Sally, and that's also Enemies to Friends to Lovers. So I think it's a really good trope because I I agree the people get to know each other. Um, And with the enemies to lovers part of it, what I like about that is I love how much more sexual tension there can be sometimes when they're enemies as opposed to when they're friends because they have that thing where you just feel like they're just at any moment they're going to just rip their clothes off, (laughs) which in most romantic comedies you're not going to get that happening, but you still have that kind of in there. And I mean, it's not a romantic comedy, but one of my favorite ships is is uh, Pacey and um, Joey and they're very much, they were enemies. They became friends, but they still always had that enemy sexual tension there. And I know it's weird to say that when they're teenagers, but I just mean they had that tension there. Um, And I just think it just adds so much drama to it. And even if people meet and it's not like instantly they they know each other kind of like what, what Tiffany was saying with 27 dresses, but I don't know if people would consider this at all. It's not really a romantic comedy but there's elements of romantic comedy to it is is the movie out of sight with jennifer lopez and george clooney and in a lot of ways they have a meet cute first off and then they also have that kind of enemies thing because she's you know she's supposed to be arresting him he's a criminal and they have the whole scene in the trunk of that car and there's more that is one of the sexiest scenes that and when they when they have sex for the first time one of the sexiest love scenes in any movie hands down so I, I just, for some reason, that one popped into my head. Meg, you wanted to add something? Well, first off, that bathtub scene in Out of Sight is forever. Oh, God. <laughs> one of the sexiest <laughs> scenes. This is like peak J-Lo and peak George Clooney. <sighs> wet in a tub. And mm-hmm. yes, thank you. I just wanted to say, I, I wanted to throw it there because no one mentioned, I know we talked about it for a second, but um, You've Got Mail is one of, my yeah. absolute mm-hmm. favorite enemies to lovers. I mean, it's Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. <laughs> Done. <laughs> but that's all. So yeah, yeah, I was yeah, I was actually I had it in my head to mention it, and then I totally forgot about. It. But yeah, that's true. And yeah, you know, my George Clooney thing. That yeah, that's that's one of the sexiest movies for him. That and From Dust Till Dawn to me are are the two movies where he's the absolute sexiest. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany. <laughs> I, George Clooney was ruined for me because my friend mentioned how my father-in-law looked a lot like George Clooney and I was like thanks oh yeah that that would piss me off too because thank, thank you for that as everybody knows I've been a fan of his since the facts of life so mm. <laughs> um and another one with his that is actually an enemies to lovers um trope is one fine day yeah with Meg Ryan I mean Meg Ryan Michelle Pfeiffer so, yeah, so that, that's another cute one where they're both single parents and going around New York City and trying to get things done. And, yeah, that's another one where they hate each other and then become lovers. And, I mean, of course, the most unrealistic thing in that movie is Michelle Pfeiffer looking anything other than absolutely divine. I mean, come on, that woman is absolutely gorgeous. There's nothing about her that's not. So, but I love that movie. Um, okay, well, let's move on to another little trope. You mainly just see it, you mainly see it in teen uh, movies, but you also see it in things like 27 Dresses in a way. I think they tried to do this. Is the ugly, ugly, ugly duckling to beauty queen trope. Carlo, what do you think about that one? That's possibly my least favorite rom-com <laughs> trope. Um, and not just because of the whole, you know, concept of beauty being so Eurocentric and all of that, which is, you know, my my higher minded 
reason to dislike it, even though that's really just an excuse. It's just that it's done so unrealistically because they always take people like Sandra Bullock in Miss Congeniality and they try to pass her off, off as an ugly duckling. You're telling me that you look at Sandra Bullock and you don't just like fall at her feet? I don't care what state of dress she's in. I don't care that she's like wiping her hand on her shirt after she just like had some fries or whatever. She's still Sandra Bullock. No, movie people. She does not go from ugly duckling to anything because she, there's, no, no, no. Um, but I think the the movie that first comes to mind is a, a teen movie, which is She's All That. Because I think that's like the most prime example of the ugly duckling to beauty queen thing, which again, where is this ugly duckling thing coming from? It's like, do they mean ugly duckling as like, you know, not dressed to people's standards and then wearing glasses. I think that's pretty much the, the definition of ugly duckling, um, which is very ridiculous and also very trying on those of us who uh, have additional barriers to meeting beauty standards. It's like, okay, well, we're already starting from below bottom, apparently. So, you know, might as well give up because I'm not going to look like Rachel Lee Cook, no matter how hard I try. Um, but, uh, and, and then also Ever After, I think, is one. But Ever After, what, what I thought was interesting about it is that the prince falls for her before she gets all beautified. And um, and, and I, I did love that because it's it's not so much the prince falling in love with her once she is the beauty queen thing. It's more like she becomes acceptable to marry. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, I, I'm just, I'm not a big fan of the trope. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's all I got on that. Jackie. Um, it's also not one of my favorites, but, uh, Princess Diaries is a really good, um, like transition of Ugly Duckling to Beauty Queen, um, which they put a lot of effort into making Anne Hathaway not completely gorgeous and I guess that's another thing is that they take like Carla said completely like gorgeous actresses and then they're like how can we make her look ugly um I don't know but I I can see it being like slightly realistic and that like you know like when your friend gets a haircut or something just like something small and you're like, oh my god, girl, you are so beautiful today. I don't know what it is. Um, so I could see that, like, getting someone's attention. Like, even if you were going from, like, beauty queen to beauty or queen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Meg? Yeah, I have some issues with the ugly duckling to, to beauty queen trope. And Carla and Jackie really kind of talked about it a bit like with it seems like if they want to make a beautiful actress less quote-unquote less beautiful they're like all right we're gonna slap some glasses on her we're gonna frizz her hair out and then look at that she is not beautiful but as soon as we put contacts in her and straighten that hair out oh now she's acceptable and that's pretty much like as far as princess diary goes and that goes a little bit with carlos talking about the eurocentric view of beauty standards because i'm sorry curly hair natural hair all of it is beautiful and i think it's really irritating when we see like get a straightening iron to that girl so she can be pretty 
um, get some contacts in her, let her be uncomfortable and do all of this extra work to meet some random dude who doesn't even like take care of his hygiene. So he thinks she's beautiful. And it drives me a little bit crazy how they always try to pass it off as like, well, he fell in love with her because he got to know her personality. And it just so happens to come out when, when she has a makeover, mm-hmm. like it was really all the time he spent with her. Um, but one that I really, really do love is Never Been Kissed. I know it's a problematic movie. I know. I know. I do not care. I love it. <laughs> I don't care. Michael Vartan is a very handsome man, and I do not care. And Drew Barrymore is adorable, and I love her. She was an adorable giant nerd at the beginning of the movie, and she was still an adorable giant nerd at the end of the movie who just learned how to take care of her skin. <laughs> yeah. Jackie, did you want to add something in there? Yes. I just want to say to all of the glasses wearers out there that I don't care. people on this panel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care who you are. I think people with glasses are so much cuter than people without glasses and that's all I want to say oh yeah guys in glasses oh my god almost every time it gets me oh I love it yeah Yeah. I love glasses (laughs) but another one is my big fat Greek wedding but I thought that was actually a really kind of realistic Mm -hmm. um makeover thing and she wasn't necessarily doing it to she was doing it because she's a 30 some year old woman who's finally trying to find out who she is and find her herself and Ian seemed to think she was adorable and super cute before she ever got that makeover. And he remembered her after she got the makeover. He remembered her from beforehand. And that, that like, so I think Never Been Kissed and, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding might be the two where I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, well, because she's, the reason she's changing a lot in that is, is for herself. It's not, she's not doing it for him. She's not doing it for society. She's doing it because she's finally doing something she wants to do with her life. And she's getting independence and moving away from what her family expects her to do. So she's getting power. And because she's getting that, she becomes more beautiful all around, even though she always was, but it's just, and so that's why I think that's so much better. Cause yeah. And I, and I think even in never been kissed, it's not quite as bad. She's not doing this makeover to attract a man's attention or anything like that. She's trying to fit in with a much younger group of people. And so that's kind of requiring a makeover. And then she gets help from friends that she makes through that. And it's not like, I'm going to try and seduce my teacher. Yikes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But she's not necessarily doing it to get a man's attention. She's doing Mm -hmm. it so she can do her job. Yeah. Yeah. Tiffany. Of course, all of mine get taken. Once again, <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm like, there goes another one. I should reverse it at some point. Sometime. There goes I don't know. One. Well, I, you know what? I think about um, the Breakfast Club and with, <laughs> okay, so Ali Sheedy, she's, she's wearing like, I mean, she's goth, you know, and she, she I thought, when she scratches her hair and all that dandruff pumps out. Oh my gosh. I'm like, girl, you are a hot mess. And then Claire gives her the, you know, the makeover and she's all of a sudden, oh, you know, she's acceptable to the jock. And um, he's like, your face. It's just, she says, what? Claire did it. 
<laughs> I love that part. I do. I love that part. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, because Ali, she literally looks the same, except she puts on a headband. I mean, it's the 80s. Hello. She puts on a headband and Claire puts some lip gloss on her and some eyeliner. And it's like, voila, you're gorgeous and beautiful. And the jock now thinks you're so hot. But um, besides that, you know what? I actually like um, the opposite when the man <laughs> gets, <laughs> gets quote unquote hot. But I think about um, like the princess bride, you know, when he's a stable boy, she's like, you know, whatever. You're just a stable boy. You're like, you know, shucking hay and all that kind of stuff and cleaning up horse duty. But then <laughs> he becomes, you know, the dashing hero with his mask and, you know, this uh, this almost like Robin Hood like character. And it's like, oh, he's he's handsome. <laughs> and he, he's great. I like him. So I you know, I like the flip side of things. I do. I like the flip side because I think it's um it's an interesting way to turn that trope on its head. Because you so rarely see it. Um, and, and I guess like always be like maybe she was, you know, she had braces and <laughs> she, you know, she's wearing very 90s clothes and things like that. And then um, Ali Wong, she uh, she has the best glasses collection since we're talking about glasses. She has such a great glasses collection. All of her glasses are just on point. And I do wear glasses. I'm just not wearing them right now. So glasses wear forever. Uh, glasses wears rule the world. Um, and she, you know, she obviously becomes a lot more when she's a celebrity chef, she obviously becomes a lot more uh, glamorous and well put together. And I, I don't think that they really changed her, like her features. I think it's just that her clothing got a lot more uh, spectacular. And I mean, and that comes from money. So. Carla, you wanted to add something in there? And then Meg? Yeah, I just wanted to say that I think it's funny that the reverse of the ugly duckling to beauty queen trope is man discovers hygiene. <laughs> man takes a bath. <laughs> Pretty much, that's all it takes. Like the standards are so low. That's true. Man finally takes a bath. Yes. <laughs> that's so depressing (laughs) but like in line with that i think the that one of the best examples is crazy stupid love of a man glowing up because steve carell just needs to figure out what kind of pants and shirts fit him and then it's just like he goes like it's a skyrocket difference. Like it doesn't change anything about his, his look. It's not like putting makeup on or doing all this, obviously doing all this other weird stuff, but he just like finds clothes that fit him. And it's like, hello, nice, nice to meet you, Michael Scott. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. He kind of has the same thing in um, 40 year old virgin, which he also has a meet cute in 40 year old virgin, but yeah. Yeah. It Tiffany. Literally was just about to say that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> once again. again. <laughs> All right. For the rest of the episode, Tiffany gets to go first. 
No, I was thinking about I, as soon as as soon as Mac mentioned Crazy Stupid Love, I was like, oh, 40-year-old virgin. You know, I'm thinking about him being waxed. Oh, Kelly Clarkson. Oh. <laughs> I was just thinking about that part. And I was like, oh, I've got it. I've got it. And then here comes Eric. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And he really did that too. He really did that. <laughs> but that was another one where it was really about him just finding the right clothing and getting a different haircut. It, I mean, it wasn't anything like Carlos said. The standards are so, the bar is in hell. <laughs> they don't have to do anything. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very true, and sorry again for stealing that. <laughs> um, I'm going to mention actually some that um, I think do it well and do it a little bit differently, and then I'll mention one that is kind of iffy. Um, there's this movie, and I don't know if anyone's ever seen it, probably not, because it's a very under-the-radar movie, but there's this movie called Baby Cakes with Ricky Lake and um, Craig Schaefer, who I don't know if anybody knows Craig Schaefer. Have you ever watched One Tree Hill? He played the the good uncle in in the yeah. Um, and I I adore Craig Schaefer. I have this. I've always had this thing. I loved certain movies he was in. Like I think he was the best part of A River Runs Through It, better than Brad Pitt. But anyway, in that movie, she you know Ricky Lake is a big woman, and she meets him. I can't remember exactly how they meet. I think it's a kind of a meet cute and he's like this kind of jockey, handsome guy and they kind of, they fall in love. And while they fall in love, she doesn't ever like try to lose weight. She doesn't ever try to change her body, but she becomes more beautiful because she has more confidence in herself and not just because of him, but because I don't know, she just starts having that. And so it's like, there's this great scene where she goes into this uh, convenience store that she's always going into and the cashier always says something about her weight or something like that. And then she goes in there, she hasn't lost a pound and she just looks a little bit different because she has more confidence. And the guy says, Oh, you look so great. You must've lost weight. And she hasn't at all. And I just think it's a really good one. Um, And then I want to mention, because I think the person that kind of moves away from this is John Waters. John Waters embraces people that don't look what is considered the normal beauty and of course in hairspray with ricky lake um that's a prime example of that and even in the the remake that was done i mean that's a prime example of he never ever has that character lose weight um she does change her hair a little bit but it's it's not like he's making her change who she is um he has characters in like crybaby that are not quote unquote necessarily thought of as the norm for attractiveness and they're allowed to have love and they're allowed to be thought of as sexy and beautiful it's one of the reasons i love john waters um i remember when we did our cult movies and i was the only person that liked john waters movies um but that's one of the reasons i do and then before i move on to the one that is kind that i like it a lot but it's got some troubling aspects to it um tiffany you wanted to mention something okay it's off topic but i there was this little itty bitty video store around the corner from my parent, from where I lived growing up. And my mom and dad used to let me walk to the video store to, because it was literally that around the corner. So <laughs> they let me walk to the video <laughs> store where I would get the VHS of Hairspray, the original one. Um, so completely off topic, but that brings back a lot of good memories. And I love Ricky Lake. 
everything. Yeah. And her TV show was awesome to it watch was when, you awesome. Were, when you were sick <laughs> and stayed home from school and sitting on the couch watching Ricky Lake and Jenny Jones. Hello. Oh, yeah, Jenny Jones. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, I'm glad there's another fan of that movie because I do. I adore that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and Meg? Yeah, watching Jenny Jones and Ricky Lake would happen right after Price is Right when you were sick. <laughs> like that was, I feel like it was what you had to do. Um, but you mentioned Ricky Lake, and it, made, it reminded me of a, a movie I have not seen in forever, a rom-com that I, I really love called Mrs. Winterborn. And I don't know if any of you guys have heard of it, but... I love this movie so much. It's with Ricky Lake and Shirley MacLaine and Brendan Fraser. And it's a woman who is on a train with a couple and the train crashes and both the people die and she gets mistaken for the man, for the wife in that couple. And it's just, it's, it's funny and it's heartwarming and sad and cute. And now I'm going to find out where I can watch it when we're done because <laughs> I haven't seen it in forever and I love it. <laughs> The one I was going to mention, and, you know, it's funny because I actually really like this movie, but I think there are problems with it, is there's the movie called The Duff, which, of course, stands for Designated Ugly Fat Friend, um, with Mae Whitman, and she plays, you know, the lead, and then, of course, the the good Amel brother, Robbie Amel, is the... Um, <laughs> romantic interest, and that's very much a friend, uh, enemies to lovers one, too. Um, and that one, you know, he helps her, you know, become prettier because he's the one who said she was the duff. Um, and that one, you know, while I think there are issues with it where it's like, she's, she's a really cute girl. She's very attractive. Um, I think there are issues with it at the same time. I think in the end, she kind of embraces that. And, you know, she writes that whole article and, um, you know, I, I know the book it's based on uh, was written by a woman who I, th- I think it was that she considered herself that, too, or something I could be mistaken. But so that one is kind of it could be considered problematic, but I think they try to turn it around. I mean, it's got a problematic title, of course, but I think it and I think they have a really, really cute love story. And like I said, he's the better Amel brother. I'm Jackie. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say that I'm pretty sure that the duff was written by a teenager, which oh, is probably okay. where okay. part of the problematic stuff comes in. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jackie. Yeah, that's, 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 that's probably true. Um, and then another one that I meant to mention, we were doing this is there was a Netflix movie called Dumplin. And I don't know if anybody's yet, where, yeah, where you've got the, I mean, Jennifer Aniston's in it and her daughter decides who's a bigger woman who's Danielle or Danielle, Danielle McDonald. Um, and um, she enters the beauty pageant and it, what's really interesting. And she's loves Dolly Parton. And what's interesting about this one is the love story part of it. A guy that she works with has always liked her. Like he doesn't care what to him, to her, to him, excuse me, she's beautiful. And it's never about, he wants her to lose weight. It's never about anything like that. He just, has always seen her and she's never seen that he has seen her. <laughs> and that's what I thought was really good about that one as well. So that, that one kind of popped into my head, but Oh, Oh, Brittany, Brittany runs a marathon um, that came out. That was that one. Cause she does start losing some weight, but she's really doing it for herself. And of course that's based on a true story. 
And she finds love along the way, but she's really doing all of that for herself. So I think that's a really, really great movie. Okay, so let's move on here um, to one thing that happens a lot in romantic, co- excuse me, romantic comedies is the grand declaration. Um, this is where someone does a grand gesture to declare their love or to get somebody back. So let's talk about this one. And we're going to mix things up here. Tiffany. Why don't you go first with this one? <laughs> I can't believe it. The joy on your face, Tiff. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> well, the the grand declaration, is there any grander declaration than say anything? <laughs> is that, that's the grandest. Put that giant boom box over the head and you know that thing is heavy. <laughs> but he stands there with that boom box and he's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get my girl. Um, I think also probably like in, um, in 51st dates, there is that, you know, it's on a quieter scale, but he makes that movie for her. So she knows where she is. So she knows. And it's so sweet. It's so incredibly sweet the same way that he does in The Wedding Singer when he makes that, when he sings that song to her on the plane. Um, Just, I mean, it's lovely. It is. It's really, really lovely. Um, Ryan Reynolds in The Proposal, I mean, just completely embarrasses her in front of everybody in their office, but hey, you know, who cares? (laughs) He's in love with her, so it's all good. It's uh, it, it's all grand. I love you, and I want to date you. That's what he says in there, and it's uh, I love it. Just like, give me more, make it my morning coffee. I'm so happy I got to go first. <laughs> okay, and Meg. Uh, yeah. So I think more like not even so much grand declarations as I do like grand gestures. In movies, I think Never Been Kissed had that really big grand gesture, the article, and her standing out there. And can we just take, like, how dare he make her wait till the end of the countdown and let her stand there thinking that ever, that he wasn't coming? Um, but I I love grand grand gestures. Love Simon had a really, really cute one with, like, the Tumblr post and on the Ferris wheel and stuff like that. I thought that was really sweet. And I really just love Love, Simon. I think it's a really good book. Um, and it's a really fun movie. And Love, Victor on Hulu is a really fun series. Um, but, no, I'm all for, like, the big kind of moments and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, Tiffany, see, Tiffany still got a lot of mine, like, I want to grow old with you is so sweet and it's so cute. And 51st state, it, 51st states is that's, that's not even just a grand gesture. That's just such a loving, beautiful thing to do for somebody that you love. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love it. And I, I'm drawing a blank on, on a lot more of grand gesture movies or moments. So Tiffany. I just thought of um, one that we hadn't mentioned, uh, Maid of Honor with uh, Patrick Dempsey and Michelle Monaghan. Gosh, he he rides rides a horse into her wedding, her Scottish wedding, (laughs) and and breaks up the wedding. And then, you know, and that's the tropiest of tropes. Um, Friends who have been friends for years, and then she gets engaged to this 
Scottish, like, what is he, an earl? <laughs> she gets engaged to him. And, of course, then he's like, oh, well, she was right there all along. And I love her. And I want her. And it's like, dude, come on. You've had 20 years to... I need that so much. Just like in my best friend's wedding. Like, they've they've been there forever. Now you decide? Exactly. Exactly. I have a major issue with that, although I'll still watch it. (laughs) (laughs) The good part about my best friend's wedding, though, is that um, it ends with her not getting the guy. Because really, I mean... I think that's, 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 and I love that it ends with just with her, with her friend <laughs> dancing, which they added else, in. Uh, uh, sorry to cut you off, Erin. Oh, that's okay. Does anybody else have an issue though with my best friend's wedding with the fact that he's a whole 30 years old and he's getting married to this like 19, 20 year old. And I have an issue that's, with that. For sure. So I was not so cool with that. But yeah. I feel like all I think of when I think of my best friend's wedding is I say a little prayer for you and that whole singing thing or it's Rupert Everett. And then I forgive everything else that's in it. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. That's, I mean, that is true. The age thing. I don't know why it never really bothered me, but, (laughs) but, but that's a good point. Yeah. Jackie. Um, 10 things I hate about you where he buys her the guitar and she says, you can't just keep buying me guitars every time you mess up. Uh, and, um, and I love, and you got mail. It's not really a grand gesture, I guess, but you know, like they're hanging out before her date with her guy that she's been talking to online. And then, uh, he's just like, you know, so casual about it. And he's like, too bad you have this, other guy and that we had to be enemies because I would have asked you on a date if we were normal people and then she goes to the park and she's like I wanted it to be you so badly so cute um and for grand gestures I guess I although like the movies themselves aren't as good um I think of both No Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached she brings her a bouquet of carrots because she said she doesn't like flowers and in um friends with benefits uh justin timberlake does a flash mob to the song closing time um and then also um billy crystal running through the street new year's eve of course um and then also not a grand gesture at all, but on the office when Jim tells Pam that he's in love with her. <laughs> I remember the first time I watched that and I rewound it and rewatched it and rewound it and rewatched it like at least 50 times in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the best love confessions. And Carla. I think there are so many like great moments in film where there's just like this huge declaration of love. Um, I always think of, uh, I, I always think to myself like, oh my gosh, those are awesome and so sweet, but that would also make me super uncomfortable <laughs> personally. Like I'd be like, did you really put me on the spot here? And there are strangers around. I, uh, can we just like take this private? Can we just, you know, take it offline as they say. But, uh, but as far as the ones that I really love, um, you know, you have things like with Jerry Maguire, where he he goes to her house and, you know, 
and gives her that whole speech. Shut up. You had me at hello. I mean, that was like, <laughs> he had me at hello. And that's like a really low standard, by the way, because it's like, okay, well, he's been awful, but okay. Anyway, um, Pretty Woman, where, you know, he shows up and uh, with the thing with the stairs and it's like, lovely and, you know, okay. Um, when Harry met Sally. But the one that always sticks out for me and all I really have to say is as you wish because that is one of those just oh grabs me in my heart he just says as you wish she knows that it's him that it's her Wesley who has been missing for who knows how long oh, I just I'm sorry I need a moment to compose myself because it's just so sweet but those are like the kind of declarations of love that I like best that that are more um I guess kind of intimate and just uh, the person showing up and stating their love for the person. If it's like over the top and they're like fireworks and a choreographed dance and you know, all of that. Like I, um, in Zoe's extraordinary, extraordinary playlist when Max has a big flash mob where he's telling her that uh, his feelings for her, uncomfortable like dude you you didn't know where that was gonna go you really put her on the spot don't well, do that especially because she didn't realize that it wasn't just in her head right oh yeah but i mean he couldn't have known that that, was, <laughs> that wasn't on him but yeah like I, I was like why is he talking to her in the middle of her dance is this a new thing but no but yeah like, there's a big difference between declarations of love that are just a declaration of love and the ones that put an onus on you to react for the sake of the people who are watching. Those I'm not cool with. So yeah, for me, the as you wish, it's the two of them. He's trying to rescue her. He tumbles down a hill. It's great. Well, it's like, that's why I would never want to be proposed to in public in a big grand gesture way because it, that's such a way to put you on the spot because, I mean, if you say no, you look like a bitch. <laughs> And if you say yes, just to say yes, I mean, is it really, I mean, yeah, I think that should be intimate, private things. Um, Meg? Yeah, I'll go one further. My husband took it another step and he just never actually proposed. Um, he, he literally put a ring on my finger while I was sleeping. And he was like, yep, I, I got you. I locked you down already. So. Well, that's that's kind of the way um, that Ed Harris proposes to Julia Roberts and step and stepmother is he yeah. wakes her up and does the string does with the, the string yes, I think yeah. that's a great way to propose because I love it. Sweet. I just like I just like to tease my husband about it because I was like, well, I helped pick out the ring. So I guess you knew I was going to say yes. But yeah, I just woke up one morning and it was really sweet and romantic. And there was a ring on my finger and, and everything like that. And he had like coffee and breakfast for me and stuff but he never actually asked me so am I even really married (laughs) (laughs) I asked almost 13 years and two children later (laughs) uh oh (laughs) Carla I just want to add that my proposal involved um, a lean cuisine cooking in the background (laughs) this is true love man that is true love he he had taken a nap and I was, um, I was working out in the living room and he woke up from his nap, came out into the kitchen, said, uh, 
you know, opened the, the freezer, popped the Link Cuisine into the microwave, said, hey, I need to talk to you for a second. I come over there. And then he gets down on one knee and proposes no ring because he hadn't bought one yet. Just proposes to me. And by the time I said yes, his Link Cuisine was cooked. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Very practical. Yeah. Tiffany, were you going to tell us how? <laughs> so my proposal, since we're going there, mine happened actually at Disneyland. But, but I will say it was in a very secluded part of Disneyland. So there wasn't anybody around. Because had there anybody been around, I would have wanted the ground to swallow me up and, you know, like just faint. I mean, basically, because that would have been awful. But there wasn't anybody around, so it was okay. <laughs> so it was public, but it wasn't public. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, yeah. So it wasn't, I mean, he didn't, like, have, like, Mickey Mouse come out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I find those things so creepy. Like, I, I, I don't like giant characters. It's, I just don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meg. Yeah, well, Carla and I went to Disney World a few years ago to drink around the world at Epcot during the Wine and Food Fest. And we are in Mexico at the end of our night. So we were feeling real good. And the fireworks start and there's a proposal going on in the cantina behind us. And it's just, I got, I was drunk, so I got quite weepy. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, God, I could never, I'm an extroverted person, but I could never be like, have a giant proposal kind of thing. Like, any guys listening or anybody listening who's going to propose, please make sure that that's something that your partner wants <laughs> before you make that plan. Like yeah. find a way to surreptitiously ask, Hey, do you want a flash mob? Will you be embarrassed if you're proposed to in the middle of a restaurant and find that out beforehand because no. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good idea. Okay, and I'm just going to add a couple for the for the gestures. Um, one other thing in 10 Things I Hate About You, the big gesture, of course, is him singing, um, singing the song, you know, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. And I know a lot of people have issues that there's problematic parts of that. Um, it is, again, kind of, quote, unquote, embarrassing her maybe. But I, I love that scene. I, it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, I think Heath Ledger was, I mean, Heath Ledger was, so incredibly special, but I, I just think he did that really well. I remember when that movie came out and I remember driving, there used to be one of the drive-ins where you would drive on the, like a highway and you'd be able to see what was playing. And I remember once being able to drive by and I saw that scene was there and I'm like, okay, come on. I just want to have a little bit of a traffic jam so I can just watch this. Scene. <laughs> Cause I just, I love it. I understand the issues with it. I mean, the say anything scene, I love that scene, but there are issues with that as well. But I just, you know, it's sweet. Um, one that I want to mention is the movie Bridesmaids, where she bakes the care the cake for him and leaves the cake outside. And she, you know, comes by all the time to check. And, of course, the raccoons eventually get it. And then eventually he says, no, I did. I had to fight off a raccoon to at least taste some of it. And I love that gesture because, you know, number one, it's just really sweet and simple. Number two, it's also playing into the fact that he kept telling her, you need to go back and do your dream of being a baker because you're a baker. And so she's doing this gesture with something that he told her that she was good at. And so I think that's great. And then also when he, she drives by and tries to get his attention when he's 
pulled over and she's like, look, I'm driving with no hands. I'm drinking and driving. And then they finally just bump into the back of his cop car. I just, I love that movie. So I think that that, that was a good one too. Okay, well, we're going to actually skip around here and I want to get into one of the harmful tropes. And we've talked about this before when we talked about um, you and that's stalking for love, which you see this time and time again in romantic comedies. Um, and of course, it's not treated like something harmful or bad. It's treated as something really sweet and cute. So we're going to get into that one and I'm going to mix it up again. And I'll start with you, Meg. <laughs> Ooh. I'm on, I got, we got to keep on our toes now. <laughs> um, so as far as, I think what we've been seeing a lot, especially in the past few years, is kind of dissecting rom-com tropes. And we talk about stalking for love is one of those harmful tropes. Um, I just want to say I am fully aware that a lot of the tropes in these movies is really problematic. And I am cognizant of that. But a part of me is just like, I don't care. I like these movies. I understand that, you know, Sleepless in Seattle is deeply creepy in in some ways um but yeah sleepless in seattle will like if you sit down and like think about what this woman does to meet this man it's creepy um i but i don't care because it's a really cute movie if i'm being perfectly honest she does it in a cute way and the whole time she's being told this is really gross and creepy what are you doing and she's like i don't care i have to meet him so she's committed and maybe should be committed um i think one of the more egregious ones rom-coms that we haven't talked about is overboard i think i don't know if that's a stalking for love trope so much or as it is like a lying about your identity um thing but so in either version it's a man or a woman depending on which one we're going to be talking about someone falls overboard on a boat someone super rich and kind of a dickhead falls overboard on a boat and the down on their luck single parent finds them and lies to them and tells them that they're that they're married and it just it's creepy and weird and stuff to the point and then when like it starts to get like you know marriage and the sex stuff starting to happen then it's just really gross but again i still like these movies so i don't know what to tell you um i know they're problematic and I know they don't send a very good message, especially to younger people who think that doing these sort of things in real life are okay. Um, but I just, I, I I look at all these stalking for love movies, like I was looking at a list and I was like, I love that movie. Oh, I love that movie too. Twilight sucks. I love this movie. <laughs> so yeah, I'm problematic, I guess. <laughs> Carla, you wanted to add something on there? Just that it's only stalking if you're not Meg Ryan. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Or Tom Hanks when you when you think of You've Got Mail. Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks True. together. Just They're the only exceptions, other. apparently. <laughs> they stalk each other and it's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to go to Tiffany next. So... Yeah, Overboard always, um, had, I always had an issue with Overboard, but like Vic said, I'm, obviously I'm garbage and I like it still. <laughs> but, um, one, I think that's kind of like sort of kind of stalkerish, but kind of on the outskirts of stalkerish and 16 candles. Um, 
you know, she's always like creeping around to see what Jake is doing. <laughs> Jake Ryan, oh my gosh. And uh, and that movie is is incredibly problematic. Incredibly problematic, not just because of the sort of sort of kind of stalkery stuff, but the um, potential for like date rape, let's just call it what it is. Um, when Caroline is completely out of it and he says I could violate her, you know, as many times as I want. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, that statement. But yeah, so definitely problematic. I don't know what was going on there. They knew it was wrong in the 80s. It's just as wrong now. <laughs> but um, I think she really, you know, she's really trying to keep, she tries to keep her distance, but she doesn't do a very good job of it. Um, because she's always got him like in, his, in her periphery. She's like, where is he? What is he doing? I want to know what he's doing. I, so it's interesting when it's a woman doing it or, you know, for her, a teenage girl doing it as opposed to a boy. Um, I like the fact when it's, you know, when he's turned on another truck that's turned on its head. Um, besides that, um, I guess we could kind of sort of look at Fifty First Dates as being a bit stalkerish as well. Um, although I think we can use the excuse that it's sweet, <laughs> so it's not necessarily it's not in the same vein as somebody like Joe in you. Let's just cut, let's just say that it's not in that same. I mean, because we all know Joe is just a total creep in that in that series. So. I'm just going to end it there. <laughs> I'm just going to end it there because I'm totally distracted. I can't be the only one who gets distracted by chats from people in the middle of talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just let everybody know, you know, Meg was just saying that the crush and um, fatal attraction are, are very romantic. <laughs> They're heartwarming. Feel-good movies about love. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, so Jackie. Okay, um, for one, I want to say to Tiff, um, since we just recorded our John Hughes episode, um, that I think Aaron actually brought up the problematic stuff with Carolyn. Um, anyway, but when I heard, like, as soon as you said stalking for love, I thought of in Valley Girl. Um, when they break up and then Nicolas Cage just keeps showing up over and over. Like he, she's going to the movies and like, oh, he's the usher. And then, um, he's just like everywhere. I think shows up at her prom and I mean, in the end they get together. So it's like, oh, cute. He was just loving her or whatever. But like, it's really weird. And also, um. I remember when the reboot was coming out, I think Erin said that she was not interested in it. Was that you who had posted about it? The reboot? I'm trying to remember. It probably was me. Now I'm trying to remember. You were like, not happy about it? (laughs) It probably was me then. (laughs) Um, I'm very rarely happy about reboots. (laughs) Um, I actually enjoyed the reboot. It's not like it's not the same feel at all and you have to not really think about it as the same movie um super different but as its own thing um I enjoyed it but I feel like I enjoy most things (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, and we definitely mentioned um, on our John Hughes episode that, um, well, when you're listening to this, would have come out a couple of days ago. Um, but yeah, definitely mentioned how problematic a lot of things are in Sixteen Candles and in Breakfast Club too. Um, and then Carla, yeah, I there are so many you know little stalking for love nuggets. Uh, they just abound in the in the genre, and you know people have mentioned you've got mail. And um, there's also St. Elmo's Fire, where the uh, Emilio Estevez character is just a hardcore stalker. He's, I, I was in love with Emilio Estevez to the point where teenage me hated Paula Abdul because she took my man, who I was never going to get anyway. And I was like, what, like 11 or 12? And I was livid, livid. I don't care how much you scat with MC Cool Cat, you're Dead to me, Paul Abdul. Um, I, I got over that, by the way. I, I just wanted to mention that. Nobody needs to send the FBI after me. Uh, but I think probably the, the one that, that really sticks out for me is Love Actually. Because, you know, when I was, when, when I first watched the movie way back when, I thought, you know, Mark pining over Juliet and... Um, showing up at her door with like those signs and the Christmas carols was so sweet. I was like, Oh my God, he really loves her. He's just, he just wants to be loved. And doesn't everybody want that? And then, you know, I grew up and I realized, no, it's just really freaking weird and really super creepy that he spends the entire time. He's at his best friend's wedding, pretty much video stalking his bride. And he, he, uh, all of these things that he did for supposedly for his best friend, Peter, he's actually doing them for Juliet, like the, the beautiful, you know, singing in the, in the chapel of the church wasn't so much to send off his best friend as he's getting married. It was for Juliet because he's in love with her or whatever. The whole video where it's just like cuts of Juliet in her wedding dress. Oh my God. So creepy. Um, and did I mention that? I, I did mention, but I'm just asking did I mention that that's his best friend? Because I did. And by the way, he was also awful to Juliet forever to the point where Peter has talked to him about his behavior towards his new wife. And Juliet's like, oh, I promise I'm nice. Like, okay, you don't have to assuage him about your personality. He is the one who's being crappy to you. I got totally lost in just dissecting that section of the movie. But yeah, that's just like the part that sticks out to me the most. Um, when we're talking about stalking for love and no, thankfully it's not like, like he ends up with the girl or anything like that, but it, um, it, it just so often ends up with the guy either being um, painted as the nice guy who just can't win. And uh, it, it kind of feeds into the whole friend zoned thing that people imagine that exists where if you're nice to somebody, they owe you sex because that's not how things work. You know, if, if you're, if people should be proud to be friend zone, it's like, Oh, this amazing person thinks I'm good enough to be their friend. They may not want more from me, but that's okay because this person is still amazing and I'm lucky to be in their lives. Take it as that. Enjoy the friend zone. It's a good place to be. Yeah. And, and um, Carla, you proved yet again, why love actually is complete trash moving. <laughs> <laughs> It was just that one part, Aaron. Just that one part. Sorry, I had to say that. But, um, 
I know Jackie, Meg, and Tiffany wanted to add something. So, Jackie? Um, I just wanted to say that um, movies where there's, like, information that one person knows but the other person doesn't know, like, you've got mail, he knows that he's the guy, she doesn't know it, overboard, they know that they're, you know, lying to the person with amnesia, and uh, Fifty First Dates where she, you know, doesn't remember anything and you know he keeps meeting her and stuff um all of those make me really uncomfortable although I love all of the movies that I just named to death uh but I don't know just like that I mean I guess maybe just because it's like a form of lying like I just feel so like I feel like you're tricking the person and it just feels so like nasty I don't know great movies though And then Meg. Well, and I don't think Fifty First Dates quite fits into it as much because it's not like he's actively lying to her all the time. He's he's there. He doesn't have a choice. It's not like she's ever going to remember him. And I think he finds a way to make that work in a relationship with them. Um, but as far as like Mark goes, I just wanted to add on to the filming your best friend. Like everyone sees you filming, buddy. Like who just films one person at a wedding? Like, you know that people are going to be like, oh yeah, you remember that video? Like, I I don't know if he like filmed everything and then just cut it all together later or something into this weird, creepy stalker-ish like masturbation (laughs) tool or something later. Cause that's the only reason I could really think I'm sorry. It's gross and it's weird. And what else would he be using it for? You really like it's creepier if he doesn't use it as that. It's creepier if he just sits and watches and pines and just like eats cereal in his boxers. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, But I think something that's actually like light stalking, like light stalking, um, has been really normalized now in our society. Like if you're going to go on a date with somebody I assume it's been so long since I've been on a date but people I know who do date like they meet someone they get their their name and their number and then they immediately go to their Twitter Tumblr Facebook like even LinkedIn if you're a big nerd like me (laughs) and you find out as much as you can about this person before you ever actually go on a date with them so I feel like it's it's really um kind of unhealthily being normalized in that sense and you decide whether or not you like somebody before you ever actually spend any time talking to them and you do that based on their online presence and I think that's something that's really kind of normal that people do now I don't think it's right necessarily and I think honestly it makes in my opinion, from my point of view, it makes dating kind of boring because what do you talk about when you already have gone through and know what their second cousin's husband's favorite food is? (laughs) Tiffany, you wanted to add something? I was thinking about um, the water boy and how Vicky Valancourt, played by the exceptional Farm Musical, pretty much stalks Bobby Boucher um, which is also a bit problematic because the way Bobby is played as somebody who is either on the spectrum, in the spectrum, or has some developmental challenges 
you know, so I think that's a, um, that's definitely problematic. Although I will watch the water boy anytime it comes on. I'm sorry. It is quality H2O. Clever <laughs> quality water, water boy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Carla, you want to add something? Yeah, just that it's it's really interesting, you know, when similar to the whole ugly duckling man finds hygiene, when a man goes to a goes after a woman to the point that it's stalkery, um it's a rom-com. When it's a woman doing it, it's a murdery suspense thriller drama that wins Oscars. And you know, like what does that say about society? I mean, we know what it says, but you know, just think about it. I just thought about something else. Dodgeball, which you all know is my favorite. <laughs> but he stalks her to the point where he gets her fired from her job. And that is beyond the beyond. But I like it just like the water boy. I will watch Dodgeball anytime it comes on. Sorry. Hello. I like Ben Stiller. <laughs> oh my gosh, Ben Stiller in that movie. Uh, yeah, I'm just picturing him in that movie. Just some of the, oh my gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, I got sidetracked by that. But um, oh, there was one I was going to mention that came into my head when you s- were talking about, oh, because of Vince Vaughn. There's a scene in, and this is totally like stalking in a way. And it's one of those with a man where he isn't rewarded for it, of course. But there's a scene in Swingers where he's calling the number of the woman that he got the number at, at the club. And he calls her over and over and over again and keeps leaving messages and messages. And when you're watching it, you're cringing the whole time. It's not done in a sweet, cute thing. And he never sees her again. He doesn't get rewarded. And I just think it's a really cool way to do it because it's like everybody in the audience. I remember the first time seeing that in the audience and everybody was like, Oh my God, just hang up the phone. Don't call her again. That's so bad. So sometimes I think they can do it, you know, a little bit better. And I think that could be considered a romantic comedy in some ways, too. So I wanted to mention that. Um, what I was going to say is with Say Anything, the interesting, about saying, interesting thing about Say Anything is, and I love that movie, when John Cusack does that gesture with the boombox, we all know that she broke up with him and she didn't want to. But he does not know this. All he knows is that she broke up with him and asked him to leave her alone. And what he does, when you really think about it logically, is he goes outside of her bedroom window, kind of stalking her, playing the song that they had sex to when she lost her virginity to him. And so in a way, it's this really kind of creepy thing when you think about it. And I adore that movie. I love that movie so, 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 so much. But it's just, you know, it's another kind of example of that. Um, I think it's a lighter example. Um, it's a very, it's a very popular trope. Um, and of course the man is almost always rewarded. I mean, like was mentioned with St. Elmo's fire. I mean, he gets a kiss in the end and I mean, it's like, there's no consequences. Whereas if that's really happening to you, you really should call the police or stuff like that. It's not, it's not a healthy thing. Um, and that's why I love the show you and we've already, you know, talked about you before, but that's why I love you because it takes all those tropes and shows them for what they really are and what would really happen, you know. 
And what I want to talk about now, because we've mentioned before that these are usually rom-coms are very white, very straight, usually. Um, so I want to talk about representation in the genre. And I am going to call on the first person that raises their hand. <laughs> oh, Carla. <laughs> yes. Uh, what When it comes to representation in media in general and specifically to rom-coms, I feel like there has been a bit of progress made, in, at least in, in, in the fact that there are more visible um, or, or at least bigger budget movies being made with non-white people. There are also more movies, I think, that, that feature characters who are not straight. Um, but I mean, there definitely needs to be more. And that's just like the very tip of the iceberg. Um, there are, there's the, the, oh God, what was the movie recently with Issa Rae and, um, the photograph? No, no, the, oh. the comedy one. Oh, the comedy. Oh, um, Kumal, Kumal Nanjiani. I cannot Lovebirds. remember. Lovebirds. Yes. That, that was like one of the, I think, the more heavily marketed and most visible ones that I've seen recently. And I mean, you can go back through film history and, and point out other examples, but they are just so few and far between. And I feel like it's time to pick up the pace and really have it be um, a more thoroughly represented and inclusive um, thing where it's not just casting actors where it's also behind the scenes from the writing to the directing to lighting design the whole thing where um uh where the people who whose communities are being represented are are included at every step of the process when it comes to uh to movies about characters who are part of the lgbtqia plus community there's just not nearly enough content and when there is, it's usually the the secondary characters or characters who don't even really feature prominently other than like a couple of quick scenes. Or they're like just the the, the friends of the main characters who um, are acknowledged as being part of the community, but are not, they're not given a, um, a love match. Or when they do, it's like towards the very end of the movie when everything's wrapping up and it's like, oh, you can be gay for five minutes now. And that's all, all you get. But what I really want to point a light to right now is uh, the lack of of representation about disability. Because, you know, there aren't really movies that feature um, characters who are disabled. Unless, you know, every now and then you'll get one about people with with mental health issues, like Silver Linings Playbook. But the more visible the disability the less visible the representation. You know, you, you also look at, at the fact that, you know, people with facial differences exist. And yet, whenever there's somebody with, you know, with a scar or with just, you know, something that is not considered to be beautiful, they're often the villain, they're the bad guy, they're, you know, anything but the the protagonist. And, uh, the, the you know, Part of the reason why I bring it up is because it is such a a blatant erasure in media 
and also because you know there are just multiple points of intersection of um of marginalized communities you know you can have a black character who is disabled and gay but the more layers you add to that the less the representation and it's well beyond time to to move on from from that very narrow um idea that only only straight white people who are eurocentrically standardly beautiful deserve love and hijinks we all deserve hijinks yes yes and tiffany i was going to say that um I agree with everything that Carly just said. Uh, the, the lack of representation across interracial lines is always pretty big in rom-coms. It's either you know very monoracial, or it's uh, they're very fringe characters in a very monoracial <laughs> uh, film. Um, some of the ones that though that I I can't think of off the top of my head they're Generally speaking, when it's a, like, if it's a, a Black cast, um, it's not always necessarily a rom-com. It's usually just, like, a straight rom-drom um, instead. But the one the ones that I can't think of, um, Last Holiday with Queen Latifah and LL Cool J, I love that movie. It's, it's so fun. I mean the woman who thinks that she's dying decides to go on this whirlwind <laughs> excursion to like, I think she goes to Belgium <laughs> or France, something like that. And it's so much fun. It is. It, it really is. Um, and I like the, uh, I like the idea that the film is telling you, Hey, grab life, take what you want right now because nothing is promised, even though obviously she she was not dying, <laughs> but still, it's a good message to, you know, to live your life. Although folks, PSA, do not live your life right now. We are in a Panda Express, so do not <laughs> live your life right now. Stay home, stay safe. Okay, that's what I have to say about that. Um, but another one, um, like in the early OOs, the ones, I mean, there were a glut of, of, of black romance dramas and and rom coms, I don't know if you all remember um, uh, "Deliver Us from Eva" with uh, Gabby Union and Ella Cool Ella Cool did a lot actually. When I think about it, um, but that was based off of "Taming of the Shrew," uh, it, and it's a lot of fun. If you've never seen that, definitely watch it. Um, two can play that game with Vivica Fox and Morris Chestnut, which is a good one. And then I think the biggest on the list is probably Hitch, um, which is, I mean, it's it's Will Smith. <laughs> it's Will Smith, who is always, uh, who is, is always just um, so charismatic when he's on screen. It, it, it really is. Um, but I guess, like, uh, I, I like that you mentioned The Lovebirds because I think it's a lot of fun. It's um, it's two leads, you know, it's a, a Black lead and then, you know, and a Southeast Asian lead that, um, that like, doesn't happen. <laughs> you, do not, you don't see that happening in film. And, uh, and not to mention, it's, it's a 
funny movie. It's a it's a really funny movie, and they have really great chemistry together. Um, same way that you know Ali Wong and um, Russell Park have, and always be my baby. That's another thing that you don't see two Asian leads in a rom com. When when does that happen? It doesn't happen. It just it doesn't. So those are my recommendations. If people haven't seen them, go see them. <laughs> Yeah, last last holiday is a great great one. That's one that I try to watch every year. I just and I love Gerard Depardieu in that movie too. I love Queen Latifah and him together. Um, just their interaction as friends and and just when they would. I just think that it's 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 great. Yeah, I I I love I love that one too. And Meg, you wanted to add something there? Yeah, I just um, I was just kind of thinking. Well, Carla and Tiffany were talking about some of their. I completely agree with everything they're saying. I don't think there is nearly enough representation of anyone who's not a cishet white person. Um, I think some of my, I'm just going to talk about some of my favorite um, rom-coms that have people of color. Um, How Stella Got Her Groove Back is one of my favorite. I love Angela Bassett. I love Tay Diggs. Their chemistry is ridiculous. And I could only wish that I look like that when I turn 40. It will not happen because <laughs> 40 is approaching pretty quick. <laughs> but I can dream. Um, crazy, rich, crazy rich Asians. And I think a big problem we see when we see like an Asian cast member or even as an Asian lead. First off, Asian men are generally not seen as being romantic leads in general, which is atrocious. Has no one ever seen John Cho? <laughs> I'm sorry um, but not only that but and if we do have a female lead who is Asian you don't really get very nuanced um, in characterizations with them it's always seen as this is very exotic kind of situation um, but I really I really enjoyed Crazy Rich Asians I like the book too Brown Sugar was a good another Tay Diggs uh, I think early 2000s <laughs> Um, movie and I was trying to find because one of the things that I really so I was a sign language major so I used to be I used to be fluent in sign language and one of the things you don't really ever see is a deaf led anything like a deaf person is usually like a friend on the side or anything like that but if anyone is wondering and wanting to see something with with interesting cool deaf characters it's not a movie it's a tv show it's called switched at birth and yes, it's an ABC family show, or I can't remember. It's one of those, but it's really good. And I I think it was really great to see representation um, and a bunch of different deaf people who all very much have different personalities and their whole life is not just about their deafness. Um, and I've already talked about some of the LGBTQ movies that I really like, so now I'm stuck. <laughs> Jackie. I really like everything that Carla said, um, especially all the different types of representation, um, because there's so many things that are underrepresented um, from LGBTQ to obviously, um, I don't know, literally everything. Disabilities is such a huge thing that you don't see. Um, I think they, 
I just thought of a TV show and I completely forgot it. I was going to say like uh, Meg had pointed out deaf people, but blind is also something that you don't see very much. Um, which my mom's going blind is why I was thinking about it. But um, uh, there's just, I don't know. I <laughs> get kind of really upset about the everything that's not represented, even like whenever there's like a plus size character and then they can't seem to write about it like non-offensively i guess um and they like they have to make it like a big part of the story i don't know um and uh earlier someone mentioned love simon and love victor and i just wanted to add did anyone else notice that that was um marketed as being a show about a bisexual boy but then it ended up being a boy who came out as like he dated a girl and then came out as gay because i'm really wondering if like in season two he's actually going to be bi or like what that was about anyway i'm done with my little rant well that and that's a big issue is not having anyone who is bi that bi representation is i mean it's very hard to find anything like their pan representation or anything like that it's pretty i'm trying to think of any i mean other than like Shit's creek i'm trying to think of any like movies or anything like that um tiffany did you have one sex education on netflix that one actually oh, does yeah. have a um I think she would be considered pansexual, I believe. Um, I think. I'm going to say, she, well, because she, she actually mentions it and she does some research. So um, I think that she would be considered pansexual, but that's off the top of my head. And like you said, Shoots Creek, those are probably the only two that I could think of, like, right this second. If I really stretch my brain, I might be able to think about something else. Right now, those are the two that I can think about. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's sad that you have to stretch your brain to think about it. I mean, really, it's really sad. And I can't think of a single, um, unless I'm forgetting one, but I can't think of a single, like, romantic movie uh, um, about someone who's trans. I mean, I can't even think of a single one. I'm trying so hard to think of one. Meg, did you want to add something? Well, I just talk when we talk, I think it's interesting. I think it's important to talk about how things have kind of come a lot further as far as LGBTQI plus representation. There needs to be more, obviously. But when we think about things like Chasing Amy mm-hmm. as being, and it was a pretty groundbreaking kind of romantic comedy in that, you know, this guy falls in love with a lesbian comic book artist who ends up returning his feelings so we could we could have her in the bisexual category and then it turns into this toxic gross thing that he like slut shames her he assumes that she'd just be down for threesomes with him because of all this and so so to think of like night and i and i i haven't seen chasing amy in a very long time but i remember really loving it and really hating ben affleck's character in a lot of ways um in that movie but it was just it's a really good kevin smith movie in my opinion um, but so kind of looking at like what we had 
20 some years ago versus where we've kind of come. And I think that's an important thing. And we think about representation. I'm seeing less and less of representation of LGBTQIA plus people um, being the butt of the joke, which is very nice <laughs> to see less of that. Um, but I'm really looking forward to being able to see just representation within everything when we have movies that look like our actual world and yeah now i've got lost in the weeds again sorry no no i i heard what you're saying yeah yeah um i'll just quickly shout out one other other movie because a lot of people have mentioned things that i was going to mention but um to all the boys i've loved before um, I think that's another really, really good one. Um, and the sequels. I know people have an issue with the sequel, but I, I kind of liked it. Okay, um, but it, but that that was a that was a good one. Um, and it's a sweet movie and really cute. And I, I liked that one a lot. Um, I mentioned, of course, in the beginning, a couple with the that are in the LGBTQIA realm. Um, but of course, we need more of those. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the, about mental illness representation, um, as someone who has a mental illness, um, we're going to do a whole episode about this next year in 2021, because while it's getting better for the most part, the way mental illness is portrayed in movies is very harmful and hurtful and very inaccurate. Um, you know, I, I do think some kind of get it like there's Benny and June, movie with Johnny Depp and um what's why am I forgetting her name is that who is that oh my gosh how am I forgetting her name anyway um I'll have to look it up but the woman who plays the um this might be wrong so if it is I'm sorry if I sound stupid but is it Mary Stuart Masterson that is who it is thank you thank you (laughs) yes yes and her having a mental illness and finding love um, and on a personal note, I'm just going to say, because it was brought up and for some reason, I don't know why, because it is a romantic comedy and I don't really, for some reason, think of it that way, but Silver Linings Playbook, um, I want to say, I, I personally, I know some people have issues with it or whatever, but that movie means so, so, so much to me. Um, Bradley Cooper in that movie, that is one of the most accurate portrayals of bipolar that I have ever, ever seen in a movie. So, and the whole scene where he's looking through the books and he's reading the the books that his ex-wife is, has been teaching or that his wife's been teaching. He throws the one out the window and he goes, um, and he, um, sorry, I got distracted. And he goes and he goes and wakes up his, um, parents and he's, you know, (laughs) raging about this book and, all the passion there. Um, I don't know, just the way he he did stuff in that was, was so good. And um, it was, it, that movie means a lot to me personally. I think it was one of the first times that um, even though he, he, he did some bad stuff in that movie, but it was one of the first times where they accurately show things, the whole scene in the beginning when he's in the hospital and he's, getting released and, and, and the way that is even shown and yeah, David O. Russell's a jackass, but he still can make some good movies. And um, also the whole scene where they're sitting there and they're comparing the medication that they've been on. Oh my God. That was so, that was just beautiful because 
it's true it's true and the whole and the way that julia styles character is uncomfortable is actually really accurate to the way that a lot of people are when you start talking about that stuff is how uncomfortable they get um but thank you for bringing that movie up carla i know you might not have been for that reason but i just really that movie i'll talk about it more in depth when we talk about portrayals of mental illness because i think that is one of the few positive portrayals that you see um for both of them for both characters not just him but for both both his character and jennifer lawrence's character so i I love that and their dance scene their dance scene when they are in the competition is still hands down one of the best dance scenes of any movie um yeah meg you wanted to add something yeah i think one of the things that's really tough about mental illness and romantic comedies is the seemingly movie makers cannot seem to get away from the idea that love will cure your mental illness and that all you need is to fall in love to suddenly be better. And I think that's so incredibly harmful. Um, And I think the, the movies who portray mental health that portray mental health, such as silver linings playbook or perks of being a wallflower um, crazy, beautiful. Those are all movies that not only show that you can have love when you have a mental illness, but it's not going to cure your mental illness, but you're still deserving of love just as you are. Like, doesn't mean don't get help for your, and don't try and get help in, for your mental illness and become healthier that way. But I think we see so many movies where, and Benny and June did the same, is is the same. But we see a lot of movies where it's just like, you're super depressed and you can't get out of bed but one day you go to the grocery store and you finally put on makeup and then you meet someone and you fall in love and then suddenly you don't have depression anymore and suddenly everything is wonderful and perfect because you fell in love and that's just not how life works and I know that we've talked a lot about rom-coms and how they're heightened reality and we've talked about how problematic a lot of rom-coms are that we still love like in the same sentence all of us have said this is a problem but I don't care I love it Um, I just think that as far as mental health portrayal goes, I don't feel like that's something that should be messed around with because telling people who are suffering from mental health issues that a, the only way they're going to get better is if they find love or if they find love, they're suddenly going to get better, which sound the same, but aren't quite the same, (laughs) um, is really, really harmful and problematic and I just wanted to throw out there a couple of movies that don't do that. And Perks of Being a Wallflower is, who did I cry in that movie? That movie is so good. It's I so love good. The movie. book is so good too. Well, and the scene where they do the Rocky Horror Picture part is, oh my God, I love that movie so much. Um, Tiffany? There's an anthology on Amazon Prime um, called Modern Love. And in that one, Anne Hathaway plays a character who is, um, she's manic depressive, she's bipolar. And that is such an accurate portrayal of the mania that comes along with bipolar disorder. Um, and the extreme lows that also come along with it. And I like the fact that they didn't, her, her portion in that is really, I, the other ones I can kind of take or leave. They were, they were okay. But her particular um, episode was so, so good 
because I mean, there's one scene where she's just like, literally like curled up in a ball on her bathroom. She's trying to get the energy and the uh, to get up and get ready for and finish getting ready for her date, and she just can't. And it's so it's so accurate. She tries to hide the fact for people at work. Also accurate. Um, she's extremely well. She does extremely well at her job. She's extremely capable, which is also accurate. You know, and it's not until she is honest with the people in her life that she can shift. And also when she, you know, is taking her medication consistently as well, because that's one thing I think that a lot of um, folks also struggle with. They take their medication, they feel better, and then they stop. (laughs) So, you know, that's also an accurate portrayal as well. So it's not until she becomes honest with herself, she gets a confidant and, um, and she she starts to take her meds that that things start to even out for her. She's not experienced the high high highs and and the low low lows. She's more on an even keel. And that if you haven't watched it, that one is really really good. Like I said, you can kind of skip over the other ones; they're okay. But hers was really good. Really, I, I really enjoyed it. It's not a comedy though. <laughs> it's not a rom com. It's a rom drum. So sorry. <laughs> No, I was actually going to mention that one. Um, yeah, yeah, because um, that one was really hard to watch for me personally um, because it was so accurate, especially um, with the low, low lows. Because since I have bipolar two, which is a little bit different than bipolar one, in that you don't always have them, the manic, the mania. I've only had like a like two hypomania periods in my life. And so that's how you can qualify for having bipolar two. But you have those depressions. Those depressions are it's and it's really hard to explain. And they captured it so well where it's literally you it's you don't want to feel that way, but there's nothing you can do about it. And you're in that that pit and you don't know how to get out of it. And you physically can't move and you physically don't know what to do. And then one day, sometimes, literally, sometimes what will happen is one day you just kind of feel better. <laughs> it just kind of starts to go away and you just all of a sudden are getting out of that. So that was, she did really well with that. I thought that was really a perfect, perfect portrayal, really. Probably one of the most, that's probably why it was so hard to watch. And what I also really appreciated about that was, like you said, Tiffany, they showed her as being very successful and I think a lot of times people think people with mental illness can't be successful. But I mean, time and time again, I mean, we see that's not true in real life, like Carrie Fisher and to name just one person. I mean, there's a ton, Linda Hamilton, there's tons of people. Um, and you actually, the thing is, is you can be, you get into those stages where you're a lot more productive and then they can kind of wane down, but you do have that. So I think, yeah, yeah. And the thing with taking medic medications, just another little aside here. I remember when Silver Linings Playbook came out and I remember I was listening to some people talking and they said the issue with that movie is it was like an ad for drugs. And once you take the drugs, you're all better. And I'm like, you totally missed the whole point of the movie. And honestly, as someone who has been on medication and hasn't been on medication, yeah, do I like the fact that I have to take medication and probably will have to take medication for the rest of my life? No, I don't because I know you know, honestly, this medication in the long run probably will shorten my life. But I also know what it's like not to have that medication. So it's a totally different, it helps. It's not the only thing, of course, there's other stuff you have to do. But when people attack that, and you can see it sometimes in 
shows where it's just like they just get better and they can throw the medication away and it's not accurate. So because it's something that we don't have a cure for it, so it's never going away. So, you know, so just as an aside there, because I was like, you totally missed the whole point of that movie, but whatever. But yeah, thanks for mentioning that one. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, There's so many things we didn't even touch on, of course, because this is a broad, broad, broad topic. And some of these movies we'll just do an episode on. Um, But we're going to go around and have everybody say where they can be found. um, If you want to be found and start with you, Carla. Yes, you can find me on. uh, Okay, I have a website, carlatebis.com, C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S, where I have photography and stuff and also meg and i have our own podcast called bed wet or behead it is a hoot we are a good time and you can find that on apple podcast spotify stitcher libsyn and google podcast now as well um and we have social media everywhere just look for bed wet or behead um you can find me on twitter at jackie dominique i don't do anything interesting though that's not true, but <laughs> and Meg, I'm going to use this moment to shout out one of my other favorite romantic comedies, Warm Bodies, that didn't fit into any of the genres anybody was talking about because um, it's about zombies. But it's Romeo and Juliet, but zombies, and it's really sweet and and I love it so much. And I normally watch it around Halloween, but my kids are never gone, so I had didn't get a chance to watch it. Um, but you can find me. Aside from Bedwed and Behead with Carla, you can find me on the Twitter at Wisconsinac, which is W-I-S-C-O-N-S-E-N-N-A-C-H. And yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, and Warm Bodies. I hate the story of Romeo and Juliet. Like, I despise it. Mm-hmm. But I love Warm Bodies. I think that is a great, great movie. Yes. That's so much fun. I think we mentioned it on our zombie episode, right, Tiffany? It, I think we did. Yeah, it, it improves on the Romeo and Juliet story. Mm-hmm immeasurably but i just wanted to throw that out there because i was looking at it and i was like i don't see anything i guess ugly duckling to beauty queen (laughs) 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 the ultimate makeover (laughs) but i just wanted to mention it so (laughs) that's true the ultimate makeover really yep (laughs) and tiffany you can find me on twitter.com at who is tip is me that is at who is tip is me on the Twitters. And I also write for the Game of Nerds, and you can find us on across all platforms at the Game of Nerds. Awesome. Thank you. And you can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any romantic comedies you want to give a shout out to or any feedback at all, Feel free to reach out to us via email at itsafandomthingpod at gmail.com. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That's how we get found in that big wide world of podcasts. And on our next episode, we are going to be closing out the year. I'm going to try and definitely drop it on New Year's Eve, hopefully, although it might be a two-parter, so who knows. Um, We are going to be talking about sort of our own top tens, best of the year, our best fandom moments, maybe just even things that got us through this horrible year. So that one should be a lot of fun. Carla and Meg are both returning for that one. So (laughs) 
they did a so little it's jig. definitely gonna be a two-parter <laughs> <laughs> but until next time remember it's a fandom thing and black lives matter <laughs>